1: Hello and welcome to The Starting Line with me, Rich Lee, and episode 6. Thank you very, very much for all of your love and sharing and kindness about episode 5 with Andrew Block, Lord Sugar's PR advisor, PR expert. If you haven't listened to it, go back. It's a great chat. PR is all around us, much like love. <laughs> Rachel weird. Anyway, uh, so go back. There's some really good stuff in that episode. I think a lot of people have been surprised by, perhaps they didn't know who Andrew was or didn't know much about PR, but they've been surprised by, I guess, the business side of things and the machinations of PR public relations at play. For those of you that have ever hated the geo-compario, go compare ads or loved them. You're about to hear the person responsible. And of course, not just the person responsible for the ads, but for the creation of Go Compare itself, Hayley Parsons, OBE. Now, Hayley is a very special woman. She is essentially responsible for the creation of the multi billion pound price comparison industry. She says it herself I created comparison. She was right there building confuse.com for Admiral. And that was the first price comparison site. And then she went from that to creating Go Compare. Obviously, not quite as easily as that. In fact, she was overlooked for a CEO role. Having created Confuse.com for Admiral, she took it to a million pound profit a month and they overlooked her. And she says it's the best thing that ever happened to her. That's when she went off to go and create GoCompare. GoCompare eventually got bought for a hundred million pounds, valuation of just shy of 200 million. And Haley invited us to her house in Cardiff, where she is the proudest Welsh woman you ever did see. Dragons everywhere, beautiful place overlooking Cardiff. Haley is the first woman to have been appointed a non-exec director for Cardiff Rugby Club. And she and I really get into the weeds on Welsh rugby, rugby in general. So if you're here for entrepreneurship, we've got that ticked. If you're here for sport, we talk about that. We pretty much talk about anything and everything. But um, a special episode, a fantastic guest and she does say she says i did indeed go out to create the most annoying ad possible and for many of you it certainly worked but you remember the name don't you follow the starting line at starting line show on instagram and tiktok at starting line show without the w on twitter the starting line podcast on facebook go to the website startinglinepod.com email us hello at Keep sharing, keep supporting, keep reviewing. We got into the top business charts again last week with Andrew's episode. I'm sure we'll do it again with this fantastic guest. So without further ado, I bring to you my conversation with Haley Parsons, OBE. And you won't want to miss the story about getting that OBE. I mentioned a moment ago that I listened to you on International Women's Day 2010. You were talking about female entrepreneurship, uh, but you also said that you'd not done very much in the way of public speaking, very much in the way of interviews, things like that. Why?
2: I've always focused on the business. I, you know, for me, it's always been work hard, achieve your goals, get where you need to get to. Not about me and self promotion of myself and 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 that kind of thing. It's not really something that I've particularly enjoyed doing or I'm comfortable with. It's kind of, it's the business and about the business and getting the business where it needs to get to. I think for me, it's always, you know, I've always, from as soon as I left school and started working, I just loved working, being in a work environment, hitting goals, making achievements, building things, working with people, kind of, so it's that team thing that I love. It isn't actually being out there by myself, doing things that isn't kind of within my comfort zone, really it's not it's not something I particularly enjoy and therefore I kind of stuck to what I was good at which is which is building businesses building teams making things happen it
1: was insurance straight away wasn't it
2: I left school at sixteen I hated school I could not wait to leave school why I wasn't overly academic I didn't overly have friends at school I couldn't give you any nice positive memories about school really, really? I not just one. Not really. I just no kind of, stood out, no I just kind of survived through school. I couldn't wait to finish. I was quite a stubborn, difficult, independent <laughs> person, as my mother would tell me. Um, so I think I was always kind of looking ahead and thinking, I can't wait to work, to earn my own money, to do what I want to do.
1: What's amazing is you grew up in a place called T Road. Road T right, Road, in knew Yeah. And there's a very famous other founder of a very successful business yeah also grew up just down the road from on you? the
2: street yeah yeah who was that david Buttress. so he's a little bit younger yeah. than me we kind of went to the same school and and of grew up in
1: the same area so david founded just eat or co-founded just eat with jesper uh, yeah. jesper buke i think and the funny thing is hayley you've both been clients in some way shape or form just eat was a client when i was at my first pr agency uh in 2010 or so yeah um and i've done work bits and pieces with good compare over the years um, so it's, it's very very funny that 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 originated on one road yeah <laughs> <laughs> what was in the water <laughs>
2: So no, we lived on the same council house street in Pontnewydd.
1: Do you think that contributed to you wanting to get out, earn yourself some money?
2: Do you know, I don't think I don't think that was necessarily a driver for me that I kind of consciously thought of. My biggest driver, actually, when I was young, it was that I couldn't wait to leave school because I hated school. I needed, to, I wanted to work, I wanted to earn my own money to do what I wanted to do, make my own choices. The main thing that I was driven by, actually was a car. And I'll tell you why. My dad used to have the most awful cars. He was a builder. She had no seats in the car because he would always be carrying bricks and wood and building materials in the car. So we would sit on milk crates. He's, he's known as Mr. Health and Safety. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I would hate I would hate it. And I was always like, when I'm older, I'm going to buy myself a dream car.
1: A car with seats. A
2: car with seats. <laughs> So that was kind of that was kind of my fierce driver. I think I remember saying to my mum when I was really young, "One day, mum, I'm going to work really, really hard, and I'm going to buy myself a red Ferrari."
1: What? Okay, so it was a Ferrari from the off. It wasn't just I don't just want a, a Ford. I don't I, I want a Ferrari. So
2: in that moment, it was a red Ferrari. And one of the problems that I have is if I make a statement and say I'm going to do something, I kind of have to do it. So even when it got to the point then of kind of being able to buy a red Ferrari, the sensible thing then would be to have a conversation with yourself: do I actually want a red Ferrari? You know, but it, it wasn't about that for me. That was a trophy. That was something that I worked for for the last however many years, and therefore I had to buy the red Ferrari.
1: So you bought a red. Do you still have the red I Ferrari? I still have the red Ferrari. Yeah. <laughs> well, so so that was a big driver for you was the idea. I guess it's independence, isn't it? Every kid wants it.
2: I didn't overly enjoy going to school I was I could also be a little bit mischievous I would skive off school as much as I could so any opportunity I had to not go to school then I wouldn't go to school so I would get into trouble for that I think I was always seen as a little bit maybe a little bit of a troublemaker a little bit difficult um, I can still all be a I can are, still right? be a troublemaker <laughs> yeah, now and I can almost, still be very difficult now <laughs>
1: <laughs> almost to a person the people I've spoken to on this I, I'd say that there's a mischievous glint in pretty much everybody I've spoken to's yeah. life because I think you need it to take the risks you need it to say okay well I'm not just going to conform yeah. and that actually brings me to on on school I talk all the time about um, to, my, to my children about how it's not for everybody it's a system and it's the best system we have to get a ton of people through it, but it's not a perfect system. I think a lot of people, especially, you know, ones that perhaps like yourself quite independent, you realize quite soon, it's like, okay, this isn't, this isn't gonna be forever. It feels like forever. But also, not everybody's perfect for this. Not everybody's then, okay, I'm gonna do A levels, I'm gonna go to uni. You know, I didn't, it wasn't for me. So I think it's the second you realise that, the second you realise, okay, I've just got to get through it, and then you start looking ahead. So for you, that was work at 16?
2: Yeah, for me, it was school was, this is just something that I have to get through. As soon as I can, the day I can leave, I leave. I didn't care about doing my exams. I didn't care about anything but leaving school and getting a job. And I left school and I got a job the following day. It so happened to be in insurance.
1: Was it on the high street? Did you walk in? What yeah. Was the-
2: so I joined up to one of the oh, kind of one of the schemes that they had at the time where I think they pay you 29 pounds a week and they send you out for interviews to uh, kind of clerical clerical work. So they sent me out to a place for an interview, which is a local high street insurance broker. I actually went for the interview with my friend. We had an interview together, which was a bit bizarre really. And then anyway, they offered me the job and therefore Starting my love affair with insurance.
1: It's just amazing that one person put you in a position in insurance that has then created two incredible companies in Confused and Go Compare. But then also... Look at at what's happened to the price comparison industry as a result. You know, you've been right at the centre of that. You could have been a hairdresser. Your mum wanted you to be a hairdresser, right? My
2: mother's dream was for me to be a hairdresser. She always wanted to have her hair done on a daily basis. (laughs) She's very disappointed in me. (laughs) Yeah, you could have done done better. I could have done better. She's now working on the grandkids, trying to get them to become hairdressers. (laughs) (laughs) So
1: you fell into insurance?
2: Fell into insurance, yeah. Pure luck.
1: What were you doing then? Like, What sort of stuff were you doing? So
2: I started at the very bottom. So you know, I was sixteen. Started making the coffees. Started doing very, very, very basic paperwork. But I, I wanted to be on the shop floor. I wanted to be selling. And I wanted to be talking to the customers. Was it a big company? No, it was a very small little independent insurance broker. So I, it was a husband and wife team. But I, I, I kind of kept saying to them, "Can I learn how to do insurance quotes? Can I learn to kind of talk to people?" That's what I really wanted to do. I kind of just kept on and on, really, until they kind of probably got fed up with me. But I would also put the hours in. So, you know, if my role was making coffees and doing the paperwork I w- and the filing, I would do that. And then I would say, I've done my full day shift. Can you now teach me how to do insurance quotes if people come in and they want a car insurance quote? So... I I would always kind of do the extras and put the extra hours in to kind of progress and learn things. You've
1: been an employer now. When somebody comes to you, when somebody comes to you and they show curiosity and they show a want to learn something, it's the best. You will give them all the time in the world. absolutely. And I think more people, hopefully people listen to this, especially younger people that might listen to this, just be open, be coachable, be curious. I always say, so I've, I've been asked a few times in and around PR, you know, what traits do you look for in an employee? I don't care about anything really. I mean, communication is obviously key, but curiosity. You you can't teach it. You know, somebody says, how does that work? Why does that work that way? And if you find that thing early, like you did, then it's it's incredible. That that husband and wife team, do you remember their names?
2: Felicity and Aubrey. Felicity and Aubrey Tyson.
1: Felicity and Aubrey Tyson.
2: Yeah.
1: That's the coolest name ever. (laughs) Um, I wonder if they've seen what you've done. And so I guess you've not had a conversation at any stage.
2: No.
1: I wonder if they'll come out of the woodwork at some stage. Um, Felicity and Aubrey Tyson, if you listen, they will have seen in you then a sixteen-year-old that was desperate to make her way. And yeah, and they were. That's fascinating.
2: You know, and they they were great because they needed to put the hours in themselves, and therefore they would put the hours in with me because I've all. It's it's funny because I kind of went from school in not wanting to put the hours in, not wanting to do the work coming up with any excuse I could not to go to school. To the day I started working, I'd I'd work every hour I could. I'd always be the first one in. I'd be the last one out. And I loved every second of it.
1: And they were running a small business at that time. So to have somebody come and say, teach me more, please, would have been incredible for them.
2: And also working for me from 16, that's where I started my friendship circle, where I never kind of really had the big friendship circles mm. through school and my and my early years, as soon as I started work, that friendship circle was just a wonderful thing for me. And the friends that I've kind of made in those very early days are still my dear friends now. And then I've kind of just collected new, fabulous new friends along the way on uh, all the new different things that I do now. And that's a wonderful thing. Was there
1: anybody that you worked with at that first company? What, yeah. was,
2: the, what was the company yeah. called? So the very first company I worked for was called ATI Associates. When I did kind of get myself customer facing and, and doing the insurance quote and doing what I really wanted to do, one of the first people that kind of came in for an insurance quote was a lady who was a lot older than me, who had just moved back from New Zealand. She was looking for an insurance quote. She ended up with a job. <laughs> so me, she then became we we then became kind of inseparable. And um we so we worked together really hard. We we socialised together really hard. We, we just had the best, best time. We worked together a long, long time. She was my PA in the end in Go Compare. She, unfortunately, she's passed away now. I'm sorry to hear that. What's her name? Catherine. Catherine Slade. So anybody that worked at Go Compare will speak so high. Everybody loved Catherine. She was the best. So, you know, so immediately I started that wonderful friendship group. And then that is built through everywhere I've worked. So. You know, when I worked for Admiral, I made wonderful friends. When I set up Confuse.com, I made wonderful friends and also go compare. And we kind of, we all stick together. And and I think if you're, as an entrepreneur, when you're working on a new startup business, the bond that you have and the engagement that you have and the, the way that you work together is quite unique. And we'll kind of be bonded forever.
1: I think it transcends ability even. It's just you get each other. Yeah. You get each other. And I think they all say in recruitment, don't they? It's about the fit as yeah. much as it is about the talent, uh, or possibly even more about the fit. So at that stage, you know each other well enough to know, okay, I can work alongside you.
2: But as startup businesses, I think the journey that you go through together and that roller coaster ride and, and the ups and downs and you know, the really, really bad hard times and the really great, amazing fun times just create something really really unique and really special
1: it's, it's earlier than i was going to talk about but that brings me to rugby and we will dance around a little bit but it that's exactly what it is when you play a sport and you know obviously you're involved in cardiff you're on the board you're the first woman um uh, elected onto the board of cardiff indeed yeah and the camaraderie that you get from learning to win and lose together as a team it's unlike anything else, and f- effectively everything I do when I, in terms of running the company, is it's as if I'm running a rugby team. You're a, you're only as strong as your weakest player. Uh, you know, your weakest player in defence. You know, you're only as strong as, um, you know, the your ability to work with and for each other. All of those things combined, I think that team sport ethos works so brilliantly in a in a team where you rely on people. Yeah. You know, if you're just shifting units of something, it's slightly different. But in what you did then you can completely see how those people that you've picked up along the way and, you know, you've stayed with along the way, those bonds run really deep and do help you when times are hard because they will get
2: hard. Indeed. And it kind of did work that way. You know, I kind of had my first job and then Catherine would come with me when I went on to my next place. And then I'd pick up another few other people and then I'd go from there to somewhere else (laughs) and they would come with me. And then... You're you know, a magnet. My, my group just got bigger and bigger as I kind of progressed and moved on. So that's
1: what they, you know. They say like Lord Chuck is a business magnate. You know, <laughs> you're a business magnet. That's what you do. You bring people with you. Uh, so where after ATI?
2: So I worked with. I I worked there for probably about a year, and then I had a call from a headhunting company saying about a role for another insurance brokers that they wanted me to apply for. And um, so they offered me, they offered me a role running my own branch of four people at, I think I was 18. I was, I was, 18. About to say, I was 18 at the time. 18. Yeah, I was 18. So that was a huge learning curve. <laughs> I worked for, I then kind of took over my own branch, which had had terrible fraud problems that had kind of gone on in the past. So taking that on was an experience and I think probably my year working for for that company, I probably learned in a year what other people would take 20 years to learn, you know, so I really learned all that was bad about insurance, all the things that you really shouldn't do.:
1: Is any of that still in the industry?
2: No, the industry's changed hugely. you know at that point, there was a lot there was a lot of fraud that went on, there was a lot of cash payment you know so things that you can't do nowadays. But, but back then was kind of rife throughout the businesses. Um, so that was a really, really tough challenge. Um, and I kind of managed to turn the branch around and we, was doing well. And then a friend of mine that I was working with at the time left to join this new company called Admiral that was just setting up in Cardiff she was telling me about this new company. I thought, oh, that sounds really interesting. Maybe I'll have a little look at what they're doing. But my heart was in being an insurance broker, where Admiral was setting up a direct insurance writer, which wasn't really what I wanted to get into. I found insurance broker much more exciting, much more dynamic, where the direct market was a uh, little bit more simple, not quite as exciting Why? In my but, view. Why
1: insurance then? I'm just intrigued. Like, what excites you about
2: I just loved, I loved the people. I loved the products. I, love, um, I loved everything about it.
1: Is it that there's a ready-made and obvious audience for it? Like, what's the...
2: Well, it's a compulsory product Everybody for a starter, it, right? yeah. so you have to have the product. So that's what makes it a beautiful product. Yes, yeah, from, from a business perspective, beautiful product. Everybody yeah. has to buy it, whether yeah. they like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> so your market's there. Yeah. And it's never going to go away. It's only going to grow. So, so that was brilliant. I, I loved the people. I loved the people. I loved all the different products. I loved every element of... Insurance and all, all different aspects, whether it be car insurance, home insurance, commercial insurance. I just wanted to get as much experience across all the products as I could, which is why working for an insurance broker really suited me. But the when I was, the more I heard about this new company called Admiral coming to Cardiff, I thought that sounds really interesting. I would, I would like to find out what's what that looks like. But my friend had also told me that they were floating with the idea of setting up an insurance brokers. So that's what really kind of interested me. So I applied for a role there. I got the job and I started working in their sales team. And that was great fun. So I really enjoyed that. Literally being on the phone, talking to people, selling insurance. At that time, it was very highly incentivized on sales. When would this have been? Oh, this would have been, gosh, I would have been 19. So 18, 19 then. I, I joined them in 1993. So it was it was a dynamic sales floor. It was very financially incentivized to sell. I loved that. I loved the competition. Of, was it all uh, inbound?
1: Was it outbound? What was it the same? Was,
2: it was all inbound. Right. And it was great because you would always have top 10 salespeople. I always wanted to be in that top 10. So generally, it was me and nine blokes <laughs> that would be top in the top 10. So I loved that competition.
1: Was it always a very male competition? dominated industry
2: yeah yes always for all the time i was involved in it right. very much a male dominated industry but that didn't i like that that wasn't a problem for me um i i'm quite happy to compete with men on any, on anything and everything i love the competitiveness it doesn't matter whether it was male or female the gender thing was i'm going win a, anyway yeah the gender <laughs> thing was never a thing for me
1: i guess because then it's all about your talent your ability to make that happen and it's a, it's a level playing field yeah. at that point
2: I always thought I'd go toe to toe with any man and achieve anything that they can achieve. I can still do.
1: Yeah.
2: I've always worked with wonderful men, I've always worked with wonderful women. And and that's how it started. What about there. at a senior
1: level? Were there were women given the chance at a senior level in the companies that you worked well, at?
2: Well, from you know, from being very young, I started working at the Admiral Group. who have always again which is probably why gender was never a thing for me, because they always embraced male, female equally. It it was never a thing there. They always had great great women in in senior positions so it was always a very positive thing for me I've always I've always worked with great women in high positions
1: this is important though to see that I guess there are some people that work in some industries where that's not necessarily the most visible thing no that's right and
2: it is and it is very tough and very difficult I think for a lot of people in a lot of industries but for me I would just I just crack on and do my job
1: just um, as as you say I'm going to be in that top 10 How, how often were you number one on that list
2: Oh, I'm sure a few times.
1: Yeah, a few times. <laughs> so from Admiral, how long were you there?
2: So I was with Admiral for 13 years wow, in all. okay. So. so I worked on the sales side initially. Um, bear in mind, you know, I was, kind of, I was kind of 19 at that time. But my eye was always on returning back to being an insurance broker. And they'd, you know, they kind of floated the idea of setting up an insurance broker. So I would always go and knock on the door of the marketing director a wonderful guy called David Stevens. And I'd say, like, David, when are we going to set up this insurance brokers? And I would go on and on and on and on about it. Let me just prove the concept for you. Let me just work on this idea of setting up this insurance brokers for you. I can make it work.
1: So for anybody that doesn't know what an insurance broker does, what do they do?
2: So back in the day, an insurance broker would deal with all different products. So you could get your car insurance, your home insurance, your commercial insurance. Any insurance, any insurance product, you get life insurance, any insurance product that you wanted to buy, you could go to an insurance brokers and you could get everything under one roof. So that, that's an insurance brokers. And, you know, when Admiral came along and, and direct line, that was kind of where that was a fundamental change in insurance distribution, where it kind of then went to a direct buy directly. But then you you directly buy in one product. So you go into them for car insurance. Right. So it was
1: quite and specialist that's all they at that do. point.
2: Yeah, right. but they underwrite that product themselves. So you potentially would get a cheaper product, but because they are not
1: paying a commission,
2: because they're not paying a commission, they're selling the product directly to you. You're getting a cheaper product, but you're only getting one product. At that time, it was car insurance, and actually, then where that market moved was to comparison sites. So you know, you know how people buy their insurance now to how they did when I first started has completely changed, and it's been great for me because I've kind of. Been through every aspect of it.
1: It's fascinating that the people I've spoken to, they get obsessed with the thing that they then become well known for. It feels like you might have been slightly obsessed with insurance
0: (laughs) to a point to, to
1: get yourself to a knowledge base where you are the expert in the room. So
2: I was very much obsessed with insurance. I knew my product inside out. I understood my industry. I understood the business that I was in and I was good at it. So it's quite interesting now because after kind of leaving the insurance world and entering the rugby world, I understand business. I don't necessarily understand or pretend to understand Rugby.
1: Where, how did you get to from Admiral to Confused? Was that the next step?
2: From working on the sales floor at Admiral, I was given the opportunity to set up an insurance broker for them. After mainly, many years
1: of you banging the door. Mainly
2: because I would keep knocking on the door <laughs> saying, please, please, please let me prove this concept for you. I promise I can make it work. And the idea behind the concept was, if you're a direct writer, which Admiral was, They might only want to insure 15% of the people that go to them. So what happens to the other 85% of the business that they don't want to insure? So they would sell those leads on to insurance brokers. So I was kind of like, well, why don't we set up our own insurance brokers, use those leads ourselves, create a separate business, and you cover the whole market. You create another strong business. From the lease that you're already generating and paying for, so that was the idea behind setting up an insurance brokers. So they did give me the opportunity to kind of prove the concept. So I kind of, I kind of worked on that for six months with another insurance broker just to kind of pro- prove that concept to them. The board gave go ahead to set up an insurance brokers fully still
1: still under the Admiral banner was still owned, it called, by Admiral. 100%, owned by Admiral hundred percent.
2: So this was a new business hundred percent owned by Admiral. You know, very quickly, we took that from being one employee, which was me, to over 100 employees. We took it from no revenue to uh, revenue of 20 million pounds. Wow. You know, we, we? we created a, a, a phenomenal business there. So so that that was kind of 20, 21, 22. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: you got this 20 year old. Let me do this. And they're saying, oh, go on then. 20 million pounds later, they're like, Alright, fight. We should have let you do that sooner, possibly.
2: So, so that I mean that <laughs> that business worked great. However, the insurance market was changing. So, so that business was very much high risk, high performance vehicles. There was a lot of um, a lot of your clientele might have had more bad debt. Then That's
1: the 85%. So what, what reasons would you turn somebody away for insurance?
2: Well, this is the beauty of a broker. You wouldn't turn anybody you away. You'd insure the, but everybody.
1: Original, but the 15% that they would say yes to, they'd say yes for reasons, like you said, there, that maybe they don't have the bad debt. Maybe they're, maybe the car's just, you know, it's, it's, it's not a high-performance car.
0: So
2: to go back to when the direct writers first come to market, they wanted all the nice, safe,
1: Good yes, business,
2: of course. And then, where does all the other business go? So, insurance brokers could insure anybody; we wouldn't turn anybody away. Yeah. So we would find a market for everybody because you just got to find the right premium. But there would be a premium for it, you know. So we would insure a lot of high premium, high performance, non-standard risks, and it was all
1: vehicles at this point.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: you built that. Business. So we built
2: we built a big business, but that big business is kind of high risk business and and at that point that that business was changing and the market was changing um, and you had you had the introduction of of online and where that was going to go when did when
1: did online start as a sales kind of channel for insurance
2: so it must have been kind of late 90s mid mid 90s yeah late 90s that's,
1: that's when i started messing around on the internet yeah, uh, yeah. so you built this broker
2: so we um, we then created this broker called Gladiator, um, and that was a great time. So I we kind of worked on that building that up fully for about five years, and then the market was changing. The business was going a lot more online. A lot more people was the you know was buying from direct writers. So the broken market was. You could see that the broken market was starting to turn. And it was therefore a good idea to kind of move away from from that market. So I actually worked, we we actually sold that business on to another insurance company. So I managed the outsourcing of that.
1: So that was your first, I guess, experience of an acquisition.
2: Yeah. Again. Were you huge, close to the acquisition? I kind of managed the whole process through. It was. It was a real learning curve. Really interesting.
1: Did you have any shares or anything in Gladiator? No,
2: I was only ever an employee. But they, you know they they taught me a lot. Yeah. I uh, you know the majority of what I learned I learned within my time at Admiral. You know, the opportunities that they gave me and the things that they allowed me to do really was phenomenal partly because I think I would just ask to do these things and put myself forward for them. And I think also because of my experience and my insurance knowledge that I had if there was anything that was a little bit tricky or they didn't quite know what to do with and didn't kind of fit into the standard insurance boxes, it would almost be, oh, let's throw it Haley's way and leave it with Hayley to deal with. And again, I loved that. That, that was great. So after we outsourced Gladiator and I was managing that process, the Admiral group were looking at the idea of setting up a, a commercial business, to, to, uh, Admiral Commercial Insurance Direct, So they asked me to do a proof of concept for that.
1: And is this to go across insurances? So not just motor. So this this would
2: this would be to move to business commercial insurance. So this would be a new product um, for them. So I kind of worked on proof concept of that for them for for the year. So I was kind of working on the outsourcing of Gladiator. I was working on the proof of concept for a commercial broker. You know, so 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 good, interesting things. I'd kind of got to the point where the commercial broker I'd got board approval to go ahead. So I think the admin group kind of wanted me to go down that route. But at that point, there was this idea floating around of this, of how they deal with the leads that are now kind of going through the internet. So so the market was changing, insurance was changing, distribution model was changing. So there was this idea of how do we take leads that we can't cater for that we don't want to ensure under Admiral Direct. We can't now sell those leads on because the leads actually are drying up on the telephone and they're now all kind of coming through the internet. How do we deal with those internet leads? So there was this I- I- idea of taking them online, and that's kind of where Confuse.com came from. So there was this idea floating around, and I kind of thought, oh, that sounds quite interesting. That's a complete change of distribution model for insurance we don't quite know what we're doing with it but it would be really interesting to kind of be There's at the something forefront exciting of that,
1: happening. have
2: a little play around with it and see what we can do a wonderful lady and a wonderful friend of mine called Kate Armstrong who was one of the original founders of Admiral she spoke to me about getting involved in that project so I, that was a bit of a game changer I guess I guess, for me and for the industry, because that was where insurance comparison was born. So at that point, there was no comparison services in the UK. We were literally making this up as we were going along. I I kind of always say there was was a number of us that were kind of troublemakers within the Admiral Group, that they kind of knew we were really good at what we did. We knew our stuff, but they didn't quite know what to do with us. So they kind of put this team together, gave us this concept that became Confuse.com and left us to it. So we, we were playing around with this concept and this idea. And literally, we were locked in a room. We had no windows. In our in this, this they really room. put
1: you. We had this is the equivalent to putting you in the basement. It says <laughs> we don't know what to do with them. Put them in there; T- they'll create. Put them in the
2: basement. To see what they can create. <laughs> um, yeah, so we kind of played around with this concept. We had a couple of IT developers then to kind of work on some tech, some technology. So there was nothing to kind of base this on. There was nothing to kind of copy in any way. We really were making this up as we were going along. So the concept was build some technology that can use the leads that Admiral don't want to insure themselves, take take those leads, pass them on to the insur- other insurance companies and insurance brokers, make an income from it. And we we, we played around with the concept, we played around with the technology, oh, for, for a good year. What
1: did brokers say as you approached them and said, hey, we're doing well,
2: this? So at this point, my role was to convince the insurance market that this was the new way forward and the new distribution model. The good thing was I kind of knew all the insurance brokers, so I had a good in there um, and I had a good network. I didn't so much know the direct writers, but I kind of got myself out there. I got in contact with everybody and I started to talk to them about this concept. Initially, they weren't keen. So we kind of changed... Like any good entrepreneurial business, I think you kind of the model changes as things happen. So, what you initially set out to do, you realize it isn't going to work that way. So, you adapt and you change really, really quickly. So, the first thing was mm, these insurance brokers and insurance companies are not really buying into this concept. So, we need to prove it to them. Also, this is
1: post 2000, right? So, you've had the yeah. dot com bust, the boom and bust. You've had people that possibly don't so, trust it please, so
2: much. Please. So, there's nothing was nothing out there like this insurance companies and brokers didn't really want to see the market change but they were all desperate for leads so we 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 kind of figured we need to prove the concept to them that it works because they're not actually going to sign up and work with us to get there we'll make it work we'll give them the leads without them knowing they're getting the leads And then we'll go to them and say, hey, you're getting all this business from us. Now you need to pay us for it.
1: Or we'll turn the tap off.
2: (laughs) Oh, we'll turn the tap off, indeed. (laughs) So we had enough funding to advertise on TV for two months. Was that
1: all internal funding? This was was all within the Admiral Group, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: So we had enough funding to, we made the very most basic TV ad. I think we spent about £75,000 a month, I remember, over two months, to see if we could generate any leads. We did generate some leads. The problem with that is as we started to drive volume, websites at the time couldn't cope with that level of volume. So we kind of crashed a number of websites (laughs) (laughs) where they couldn't kind of cope with the volume. But what was great with that is we could then approach them and say, look, we've proved to you now that we can give you this volume. So we need to, can we now come up with a commercial deal to kind of work with you going forward? On this new distribution model oh, right. of the way that car insurance is going to transact in the future
1: it's funny that crashing a website for a period of time especially as i got into pr as i 2008 it became the thing you wanted to do i want to drive so much traffic to you that it crashes your site and you know something that sounds terrifying all of a sudden you're like okay that, that's proof of that's proof of you know whatever's driving that traffic so so you did that
2: We did, but also our business model kind of evolved and changed as as we were going along, you know, bearing in mind nothing like this existed. We really were making it up as we were going along. Our very first kind of business plan and concept was we would charge the consumer a fee for using our service. So we did a number of different tests on that. My view was always that will never work and our income needs to come from the insurance companies and the insurance brokers and not the customer. There, the was customer already, there was
1: already a model for that in terms of commission and things like there that was, in, the, in the industry. There was so there already, was an understanding that...
2: Indeed, there was already that model. But for, for me, the whole point of comparison and building a comparison service was to put the control in the consumer's hands, not in the insurance companies and in the insurance brokers' hands. So it was to really kind of switch, switch that control and kind of who was in charge and giving it back to the consumer. And actually, that that we really did
1: achieve that. How, how long after Confused.com did Money Supermarket come? Well,
2: when we were launching, when we were working on fuse.com we also knew that, that Money Supermarket was also trying to launch car insurance. Right. So for me, I wanted to change the distribution model. I wanted to simplify the insurance product. I wanted us to be able to create this wonderful concept of insurance comparison but I also wanted to beat money supermarket
1: to, to launch. How did you know what they were doing?
2: Oh, insurance, the insurance industry. They talk, everybody you knows know everybody. everything that's yeah. going on. <laughs> so so we knew kind of what they were working on. And there was competition, there was real competition between the two of us. So so I was flat out, I must we must beat them and, and launch before them.
1: What was your launch schedule? Kind of so from right, we're sat down in this room, we're making this, we're starting to build. Do you remember how long it took from that to launch?
2: In all, we we really worked on it hard for a good two years. There was an awful lot of work to be done. You know, the hardest thing was definitely convincing the insurance companies that this was the way insurance was going to be purchased in the future. Luckily, I had the contacts and then and the networks to work with So we created these TV ads. We started giving the the leads over just to kind of prove the concept, test how it all worked. And actually, I remember, and this is probably one of the most defining moments in the insurance industry, and it kind of still stands today. I had this phone call from um, Out of the Blue, from Norwich Union, Aviva, as they are now. And it was the marketing team. And they said, we think you're hitting our website and putting some leads through to us. I said, absolutely, we are. We've been giving you a lot of business and it's about time we had a commercial conversation of how you're now going to pay us for those leads. So the the conversation continued and he kind of said, well, how much would you want to charge us? So at that point, we'd never had any conversation about working this kind of business model out. So you're on the fly. So completely on (laughs) on the fly. He And, you know, at this point, we're a startup business. We're making it up as we're going along. I kind of, you know, we really are flying by the seats of our pants, but you're trying to kind of, you know, pretend like you know exactly what you're doing and you're professional and all these things are kind of all planned out. So, completely on the fly, I made a price of £40. I did have some logic in my head on this. At that point,
1: you know your figures well enough. Well, at this point,
2: I thought, right, the average premium is £400. Right. 10%. Sounds fair. £40. I also knew that the insurance market at that time if they were advertising themselves, might have been paying £150 for the lead. If they're paying £150 themselves, why wouldn't they pay us £40? So we struck a deal in that moment, at that time, completely randomly made up, and they started paying us some money. And it was the first time we ever made any money.
1: So with Norwich Union, £40 a lead, how many leads were you sending them?
2: Oh, we were decent enough. Do something.
1: Dozens, volume. hundreds, Where I say we
2: made some money instead of losing money, we might have made a hundred quid. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but we, we didn't lose. We weren't losing money, yeah. and that was kind of the turning point. Then, and then it was like, right, we have to now go down this route of talking to all of our insurers. They want to work with us now. They have to pay us for the leads, and that was you know a very difficult time, but very exciting. You know, get getting those insurance companies on board, getting them to pay us. But for me, that was probably one of the best, most exciting times you're in, in kind mode. of you are in startup you're The in second startup you start mode, making money in you your startup, are, it is so exciting when you are just making those deals, and you you know you start making money, and all of a sudden you are kind of. It's
1: not even about the amount of money, is it? It's not. It's <laughs> no, no. It's again, not. every business person I speak to, there is, it's the deal. Yeah, it's it is. It's all
2: about the deal. Yeah. Absolutely, but that was that was the point. Uh, and I can picture it now, like it was yesterday. You know, sat sat in our room with no windows, <laughs> no furniture. <laughs> You're back to your making dad's it car. up, making no it seats. up on the fly. And that pricing structure is still in place now.
1: 40 and that pounds. is
2: how it has creeped up. Knowing what I know now, I would have said it's forty pounds, but it increases as the insurance premiums increase. But there we are.
1: That's incredible. <laughs> so that one phone call kind of defined that, a that, standard. That was
2: absolutely the moment that was the game changer.
1: Did you beat Money Supermarket to launch?
2: We did. We did launch first. So Confuse.com was the first comparison service to launch, which was wonderful. However, the real goal was getting to real-time pricing, and Money Supermarket got to real-time pricing before us. We were only a week or two behind.
1: Was that a technological?
2: Yeah, and they were quite a while behind us then, on car insurance because they started to work on home insurance
1: so when did you move from motor into broader insurance products
2: we kind of we we cracked car insurance first and we got that right we got that working perfectly and then home home insurance became an easy thing to get into other products then became an easy thing and that, to get then into. it just becomes
1: a spend-off doesn't it
2: yeah. And, you know, our, the technology and the, and the business model that we kind of made it on the fly, it's kind of all still in place now, just operates exactly the same way, really. I, I
1: talk a lot now. Everybody wants everything yesterday, right? Especially young business people or young people entering into the business world. They think if anybody listens to this takes anything away from your story so far, it's you're curious, you get obsessed, you learn you keep learning you keep learning and then you take that away with you you said a moment um, earlier in the in the chat you said that it was almost when when i said about equity you're like yes but i was an employee still you know and that's you're still learning you're still but they're still teaching you
2: oh absolutely and you've it's, had
1: all that experience it's, nev- it's it never it's never been
2: about money for me it's always been about building things doing things for the right reasons having goals and targets and that competitiveness of what you're looking to get to and achieve it was it was never about it's never been about money five years we worked on confused.com and in that time we'd completely changed the distribution model we completely turned insurance on its head you had confused a money supermarket hugely successful businesses I remember having a moment where I kind of you know we're making over a million pound a month profit but we don't have the desire to continue with the change needed to do what's right for the consumer. It was all about, we've built this, we're at this point, we make a million quid a month, we don't need to change anything, we don't need to develop, we don't need to improve it any further. It kind of just works. Okay, yes, it works for you as a business. It wasn't quite working for the consumer at that point. So I, where I really then kind of wanted to champion be the consumer champion and do what's right for the customer. And what was happening was insurance companies still had that control, they still had that power, and they were stripping down their policies and giving the consumer less because all they cared about was getting to the top of the list because in what Comparison had done had made it all so price-sensitive, people was only buying on price. And that's fine if you know what you're buying.
1: At Insurance point, is a, a complicated
2: product sometimes. It is a very complicated product. And at that point, the consumer didn't know what they were buying. The product they were buying was being reduced. All they understood was how much they were paying for the product. I had a moment and Kate, who I set the business up with, chief executive, she decided she was going to retire and leave. So I kind of thought, OK, that job should be mine.
1: You see and believe in the value you're creating for the company and you'd hope that they'd see the same thing.
2: Oh, absolutely. I worked so hard on that business, on building that business, on making it what it was, but I wasn't actually then considered for the chief executive. Well, they automatically just brought somebody else in. So that didn't sit comfortably. That
1: felt like a massive kick in the teeth. That
2: didn't, really didn't sit comfortably with me. Don't get me wrong, best thing that ever happened to me um, <laughs> in the end. It, it didn't feel like that at the time. So a little part of me was like, mm, okay, that's not right. But I I kind of crack on regardless. Mm-hmm. I carry on. I do my work. I give it my best. I still keep putting in all my hours. Um, I still keep building. But in the in the back of my mind, I'm a wee bit gutted. And you know, so that 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 kind of happened. And then I remember then, I don't know, possibly six months later, getting a call from somebody in the industry that I worked with who who said to me, Hey, just to let you know, I've been offered a job at a competitor of ours to set up a comparison site. And I remember having one of those moments where I think to myself, hang on a minute. If you're going to set up a comparison site, I've got much more knowledge, much more experience. If you can go and do that, I can go and do that. So that that was a fundamental moment for me, that conversation.
1: So were they getting in touch to say, hey, do you want to come with?
2: No, they were getting in touch to just say, look, I deal with you now. Just let you know I'm right. not going to be here anymore. I'm leaving my job. I've been given this opportunity, at a company called YouSwitch, oh, set up an okay. comparison, a comparison service. And I was like, well, hang on a minute. I can bloody well do this.
1: <laughs> Did you make up your mind then?
2: I, that was one of those, um, that was definitely one of those moments. I think, do you know, that was the moment that was the first time that I ever thought, hang on a minute. I'm good enough now to go and do this by myself. So that was a bit of a game changer there.
1: Late 20s at this point. And you'd had 13 years with Admiral.
2: Yeah. It was the first time that I kind of thought, my time's up now here. Been given some great opportunities. I've done some great things. I've, I've set up a number of businesses for other people. Now is the time that I've got my confidence and I can, I really truly believe I can do this for myself. I understand this industry better than anybody else. I created comparison. So if anybody else can go off and do it again, it's me. I'm so glad you said that. And was, I'm going to say that
1: for you anyway, but I'm <laughs> yeah. so glad you said that because and it was, you it changed was, the industry. It was
2: that moment of realisation that was kind of, do you know what? Enough is enough now. Later on that day, I had a business meeting with somebody that wanted to kind of join our, our services. And we're just having a general conversation out of the office. And he kind of says to me, what do you actually want to do now? What do you want to go on and do? Would you like to come and work for me and set up an insurance company for me abroad? You want to set up an insurance company? I said, no, that's not what I want to do. I want to set up a comparison site and I need some funding for it. So instead of employing me, fund me, invest in me to help me set up a comparison site. This conversation just so happened at at that time and it, it wasn't planned, it wasn't thought through. It was just good luck and time, and the right time. See,
1: I've worked with a lot of companies, a lot of founders that have gone after investment, and it doesn't just fall into your lap. So I've, I've heard you talk about that initial investment. Was it was it from that person, by the way? So
2: we both had a conversation. We both got excited about the prospect then of setting up a comparison site. So I was excited about the idea. He was excited about the idea, but it really was a conversation on the fly in the moment. And he said, "Well, I can introduce you to somebody that you you know might be interested in funding it." I said, "Great, let's do that." I, literally a couple of days later, a meeting was set up. We had breakfast early one morning, and I think within about an hour, at the end of breakfast, Tom, my initial investor, kind of said, "Haley, if you if if you want to do this, I will invest." I will invest up to a million pounds, and I am saying that is great. I will go away and work on a business plan, but if we're doing this, we're doing it straight away. There's no messing around. If you're up for it, then I'm up for it, and we're leaving straight away, and we're starting, and we're starting on it straight away. So he was like, yeah, yeah, okay. I'm not sure you quite could believe me. (laughs) So yeah, within the hour, he'd kind of agreed to million pound investment. I think when I rang him the following day and said, Tom, we're good to go. We're doing it. I think he was a little bit taken back and surprised. But again, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. There you go. It's a red Ferrari.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Comes back to that. So how soon did you then, because as I
2: understand that you then went back to some of the team at Confused. Actually, do you know what? There is a process on this. So the following day, I was going off to a business meeting and my partner in crime that um, I'd worked with for a long, long time, Lee, was kind of, I I picked him up, we were in the car together, we we were driving along and I remember saying to him...
0: And 365-day returns.
2: Griff, I'm leaving. I need to know where your loyalties lie. Are you staying where you are or are you coming with me? So at this point, I had no discussion (laughs) with him on what I wanted to do, what my intentions were, nothing. And he just kind of looked at me and said, I'm coming with you, H, of course. And that was the end of that discussion because we then got to where we we were going to, carried on with business, and, you know, had no more discussion on it. So I kind of um, knocked up a little business plan, but actually I was so busy at that time on the, the confused business that I didn't get to have the meeting with the um, investor for about six weeks. So <laughs> I got my little business plan that I'd put together in my bedroom, which had taken me about half an hour. It really was a back bag packet. Um, the best plan. one's
1: are <laughs> Absolutely. I still got
2: it. Still yeah. got do you really? Yeah, I do.
1: I would love to see that. Uh,
2: thankfully, we did a million times better than what the plan uh, predicted, which is wonderful. So I look back on it now and laugh and think, oh my God, we did so much better than that. So Lee, who I had the original conversation with six weeks ago, I had a follow-on conversation with him and kind of said, right, Lee, I've got an investor. I've got a business plan. We're leaving tomorrow. (laughs) Bear in mind, we hadn't spoken about this for six weeks. We've been so busy. We've just been so busy. So he kind of of said, oh, my God, I thought I dreamt that conversation. (laughs) So I said, no, no, you haven't dreamt the conversation. We're on and we're leaving tomorrow. And, um, yeah, we resigned the following day.
1: You mentioned it wasn't, he didn't resign, did he?
2: So the the way the kind of conversation went was, rightly, we're leaving and we're leaving tomorrow and we're starting working on this straight away. And he was like. Oh, hang on a minute now. We can't do this until we get Dan on board who needs to come and do the IT, build the IT platform. I said, right, so you're saying we can't resign until we get him on board. He said, no, we've got to get him on board first. I was like, right, okay. Quickly got hold of Dan. Dan, Dan, I need to have a conversation with you. When I kind of have the conversation about leaving and setting up by ourselves, that scares the life out of him. You, you know, he, 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 he almost can't cope with, with that concept. I really sold the concept to him, sold exactly what we were trying to achieve. But I was making this up at that point. Hours and hours we all spent together. So three of us then, we spent hours all together talking about the concept, talking about the idea, talking about our vision of what we wanted to achieve, was going to achieve. And Alex said, right, we're going for this, boys, yeah? So he said, yes. So said, we're resigning tomorrow, yeah? They said, yes. I said, what happens if you go in to resign tomorrow and the person you resign to begs you not to leave, or even cries because they're so upset that you're leaving. And they're like, oh, I don't know would cope with that. Right. I'm, say, right, I'm going to have to resign for the three of us, because I can't trust you guys not to back down when, when, when push comes to shove. So they're like, yeah, you're right, Tate, you're going to have to do it for the three of us. And uh, did you? I did. You did? I did. <laughs> oh,
1: God. Did they cry?
2: It was, it was quite a traumatic, um, leaving confused it was quite a traumatic time. Being in mind, you know, I joined Adam from the very early days. I'd spent 13 wonderful years with them. I was very, very loyal. I loved that business. I loved everything about it. And actually, if you'd have asked them at any point, who is the most loyal person in your business, I, they would it would have been me. And I was right up until that moment. I think there's a it was lesson ready in for me that to go.
1: for business owners that, that don't respect and kind of act accordingly, according to that loyalty. And again, you don't need to say it, but I'll say it for you: that role should have been yours. And the fact that it wasn't,
2: I felt the role should have been mine. I'm so glad that it wasn't. I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I am I'm so sure absolutely glad that that role wasn't. And I do, I do kind of think that things happen, stages happen, and you evolve, and you, you, you kind of come out completely a different Mm. person and actually the the change in me from not getting that role to getting to the point of me realizing just what I was capable of and that I was ready to kind of go on and do it for myself I became a different person in that moment and the person then that went on to create GoCompare was a different person to what worked on Confuse.com
1: did it ever feel like a risk?
2: It was a huge risk that the whole for the three of us actually leaving was quite a traumatic
1: experience because it's the loss of something, isn't it? It, it
2: we it really was There's going to be some grief associated with we, that. We we loved that business. We confused that we built that from nothing. That was our baby. We had such a tight group that we worked with. So for us to go off and do what we did and the way it was viewed internally you know and i get it was quite traumatic
1: were there any kind of legal kind of you know, fingers wagged and, there,
2: there was but actually we didn't do anything wrong we no had
1: non-compete no we hadn't
2: worked in the background you on created anything. an
1: industry of this so all of a sudden how do you compete with the industry you've created
2: Absolutely. You do it bigger and better. Bigger right? and better. <laughs> we, we hadn't done anything. We hadn't worked in the background on anything. Mm. Um, there was no planning or anything that kind of went on in the background to get it started. We were we were leaving and we were starting from scratch with nothing. Um, I remember having this moment of leaving the building. So there was me, Lee and Dan. We'd left the building. I remember being stood outside. The build- I remember having this cold sweat come over me, and I remember looking at them both and thinking, "Oh my God, I'm responsible for this. These pin out the rest of my life."
1: <laughs> I think they made a good decision. I, I think this- <laughs> they'd agree, right? They, they'd agree now that they made a good choice.
2: I've had a couple of moments where I just get that cold sweat come over and just have a "Oh my God" moment. There was that one, and I remember having another one a wee while later where I signed a loan agreement for thirty million pounds. Having another moment where I think, "Oh my god, this is huge!"
1: How much? What was the distance between that initial investment and that thirty million pound loan?
2: So, my initial investment was enough to set up office, build technology, build, make an initial TV ad, get to the point where we could launch. Had mm-hmm. no money to spend on marketing after that point.
1: You knew straight away that TV was the way to build a brand.
2: Yeah, at, at that You've point, at that point, I knew exactly the business model worked we'd got the business model pretty much perfect through all the work that had been done at confuse.com and many supermarket the business model was nailed down things happened and changed during that time as we were building our website and getting ready to launch one of the things being that tesco compare was looking to launch and that became Quite a scary prospect.
1: All of a sudden, that juggernaut come in.
2: So we're at the point where we are six people. We're in Newport, little office in Newport. We had windows in our new office, which was beautiful. <laughs> um We had our little fifty-pound IKEA desks that we built ourselves. The guys were building in a language they'd never used before. That was all a learning curve because we couldn't build in the same ways we built confuse.com because that would have led to legal problems, mm-hmm. you know. So we're back to the stages of making it up as we're going along with the technology that we're building. Then somebody brings me up and says, just had a meeting with somebody at Tesco. They're launching Tesco. Their, their aim is to take you straight out of the market and, and just wipe you out completely. They, they're going for it big style. See, again, you have that moment where you think, shit. So at that point, we were six people. We had half a million pound. Tesco Compare were looking at having 200 staff. and They were looking at spending 20 million pounds. How on earth do we compete with this? We have to get to market as quick as we can. We have to escalate everything, get to market as quick as we
1: can. Which you'd already done with Confused because of Money Supermarket, so you knew, we, how, yes, to you, yeah. you knew how, how to rush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Market.
2: But we're, we're writing in some technology now that we've never used before. So when I wanted to set up Compare, the main thing I wanted to do was change... The way the model worked. So, I wanted it to become about the right product at the right price, not just the cheapest product that's at the top of the list that everybody. So, we had a different concept that we wanted to go with so that I wanted the consumer to know exactly what they were buying. It was quite interesting, actually, because when we did launch, where were the other sites? Everybody, 100% policies were bought at the cheapest price. Actually, only 50% of ours was bought at the cheapest price. Because we were really clearly showing era. people what they were getting. This is where the power started to shift then to the consumer, that the consumer was kind of getting what they wanted and making their own informed choice. Mm-hmm. So that was um that was quite a fundamental thing. I had, had had this business meeting that was to talk about them, this insurance company joining our panel and working with us, but actually What I really wanted to do was to get to their their founder and chief and talk to them about investment. Because I kind of thought, I need 20 to 30 million million pound investment. I can't just rock up to a bank and get that. No, It's going to have to come from within the industry. So somebody that knows what I've done, knows what I'm capable of, understands the market, and somebody that has got the balls to take the risk on what needs to be done. So at the time you were thinking
1: investment, you were thinking investment, but it ended up being a loan, right?
2: I... Did indeed have a conversation there with the person that I wanted to have a conversation with about investment.
1: About that through him and
2: no, not at all because he went, he got there with the same intentions. No So way. I went there <laughs> with the intentions of I want, I want investment from you, and he came with the intention that he wanted to invest in me. Yeah. So it was a wonderful thing, you know. Twenty minute conversation is kind of all it took. For us both to know this was we had the ambition to kind of do this together. So quite quickly, we had agreed a 30 million pound investment because at that point we decided that's what we would need to do to really take on Tesco Compare and really go for it.
1: Did that, just from a business perspective, did that scare you from equity?
2: No, no, not at all. I was I was thinking bigger picture Mm. so i was thinking if we're serious we have to go for this big time now and whatever we need to give away to get the investment that we need that's what we have to do
1: were the three of you still able to retain majority share
2: so i always kept full control legal control of the business i was always in charge of the business from day one to to my last day there so it was always my shout on everything and then the shareholding kind of was was a separate thing. Right. So we all took a dilution down. Everybody was quite happy to do so right. because actually nobody was kind of in it for the money. We were all in it to change the market, to prove ourselves, to do what we could do. You know, a big driver for me in setting up Dunker was to be able to stick my fingers up at the the, <laughs> the guys at, at Admiral they and say, you the job. <laughs> "Look at what look at look at what you could have had." Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's, I mean. <laughs> so that was a big driver for me, you know, So and, and all of us, actually, our drivers were all around showing what we could do, delivering on what we said we could do yeah. and really shaking things up.
1: Fast forwarding, you've said that TV you knew was a way to build a brand. Um, you have done it with Confused. Go is very, very famous yep. for, well, a couple of reasons, um, but one of which is the lovely win.
2: The lovely win. Um,
1: how did you and Win meet each other?
2: We had a marketing campaign, our very first marketing campaign. It was working. It was doing fine. It was doing its job, you know. The, the it, it was getting competitive. It, it was a competitive space between the different comparison sites, you know. And you kind of got to the point where you had many supermarket, confused dot com, um, you switch, compare the market, all doing well. All Tesco you compared know. nowhere to be seen. Ah, uh, we blew Tesco compared to the Go market. On. <laughs> 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 they were gone. <laughs> <laughs> Probably one of my best moments has to be the thought of six of us in go in our little go compare office with half a million quid to build our technology um we did it in six months then you had Tesco compare with 20 million quid with 200 staff it took them two years never got anywhere happy days well done <laughs> <laughs>
1: We were just about to start talking about win and marketing and yes. building a brand. Yes. So it would be remiss of me not to talk about marketing building a brand with you. How did you do it? And where does Win Evans Geo Compario come into play?
2: We had our ads, and then many supermarket actually went to our, our ad agency and produced an ad that was pretty much identical to ours. So that really cheesed me off. That we had kind of two two ads running that was kind of Pretty much the same messages, doing exactly the same. The same thing. agency, yeah.
1: I thought no, no non compete. No. Well,
2: it shouldn't have. It shouldn't. I would have
1: never happened, take a client on that. Site. Um, yeah, okay.
2: We were looking at that point. Then we were looking at kind of where we take our advertising. It kind of got to the point where I was getting a bit frustrated that I couldn't find kind of what we wanted to do next and where it went next. I remember sitting in front of the TV. It was Christmas time, and this ad came on, and it was the meerkat. It was the meerkat, and it was compare the market, and it was. First time the the ad had come on air. And I remember watching, again, talk about a game changer. I remember watching the ad all the way through and thinking, bloody hell, this is a game changer. This takes us in a completely different direction now. Instead of talking about our messaging and educating people on what comparison services do, this kind of takes us into the entertainment space. And I don't know what that looks like for us. But it looks completely different to how we look now. So I remember then kind of going back into the office, working with the marketing team, looking at different, and nothing, you know, nothing was right at all. So I remember kind of getting a little bit frustrated with it and kind of saying, right, I've had enough of this. Now I'm going to go and sort it myself. So I got in touch with an old retired couple that had done some wonderful things in the past in media and I sat down and had a conversation with them. They retired, and I sat down and had a conversation with them and kind of said, look, would you come out of retirement and work on a concept for me? This is what we're dealing with. The only message that we need to give out is our name, and that's it. So let's take the view of everybody has to buy car insurance, so let's be front of minds, and how do we get, go compare ahead of any other brand. That's your brief. To be fair to the other ad agencies, they didn't have that brief. If they did, they might have come up with something different that suited. But I literally changed the all brief. about the name. I literally changed the brief on the fly in my conversation with these guys. And at that point, we'd never paid for um, a concept to, to be delivered. They were like, well, yeah, we, we can do that, but you'll have to pay for the concept. We're only going to give you one concept and, and that's it. So I was like, yeah, off they went. And I met with them then a couple of weeks later. They had one concept for me. That was it. Thankfully, I loved it. <laughs> so I remember it's a big them. Bat. Yeah, I remember them kind of. They had this drawing of this um, this cardboard drawing of a figure, which was a very slim figure. It reminded me also, almost of the Ask Jeeves character. Yes. And it was this slim character with a wiry moustache. And they started singing the over there song. They started um, talking through an advert taking over there to go compare and I loved it immediately and I think within 30 seconds I kind of said I absolutely love it and this is what we're going to do so I remember then going back to the office and I had to have a board meeting so I kind of sat down with my um, board director and I kind of you know I kind of like to work on a basis of selling a concept getting everybody to buy in and everything being good and positive and happy. I was thrilled with this concept, presented it to the board, and they all looked at me like I was crazy. Kind of said, We absolutely hate it. It is terrible. And I remember having a bit of a diva strop and kind of saying, I do, I try not to do this. I, yeah, I had a diva strop. And I kind of said, Well, quite frankly, I don't care what you think. I'm doing it anyway. And off I trotted. And um, yeah, that's where it started.
1: Amazing. Um...
2: <laughs> they gave me the concept. Actually, what they said to me was, Great, we will start recruiting for the character, Mm -hmm. but we'll have to get a singer, an opera singer and an actor because we won't get somebody that can do the acting and the singing. It'll have to be two. And I said, no, I don't want that. I want one person that has to be the voice and the performer. I want a round opera singer. I don't want your scrawny little Ask Jeeves character. Mm I want a proper round opera singer that can sing phenomenally, that can act fantastically, and he has to be Welsh. So they looked at me like I was stupid, and they kind of said, Hayley, you are being ridiculous. <laughs> we are not going to find that for you. And I kind of said, that is what I want. That's what you must find me. And they kind of told off saying, yeah, we're just not going to get that. Um, anyway. That's what they got me. How? <laughs> did... so, so, all that, the, the next stage for me then was I got a tape with a number of auditions on mm-hmm. to watch. There's quite a few, there's quite a lot of auditions on there. So, I sat down, watched the first one. No, the second one was Win. So, he, his audition started to play and pretty much straight away, I watched through his audition. I stopped the tape and I said, He is the one for me. That's the one. So, I didn't watch the rest of the auditions. Because I knew straight away he was the one for me. And it just so happened he lived around the corner from me. No way. Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, set up up a meeting. Let me talk to him and see where we get. And we've been best friends ever since. That's
1: incredible. So that that first meeting, how did that go?
2: Fantastic. Just brilliant. Literally, the second that we met each other, we just started on a wonderful friendship that will last forever. The first ad launched 14 years ago yesterday. So it would have been just over 14 years ago.
1: That's it's completely changed his
2: life as well, completely right? Completely changed his life. Absolutely. I do remember kind of in that first meeting, sitting down with him and saying to him, you do realise if you do this, this is going to be a game changer for you. But there will be a lot, potentially a lot of negative stuff that comes with it. And are you prepared for that? And I kind of spoke, talked talk through with him or the potential downside that might come to him personally.
1: How did you foresee that at that time?
2: I knew the ad was going to be annoying. <laughs> Our intention, the intention was, was to, to be, be annoying. Mm. I went into it wanting to be the most annoying ad on television. I wanted it to be a little um, thing in your head that just kept going. And with that would come a lot of good and bad. And he was like, yeah, no, no, I'm really it. it's great. And, and there, ha- there, was, there has been an awful lot of negative stuff for him. And an awful lot of wonderful stuff as well.
1: I think the thing with Wynn as well, you hear it's it's always his, his singing ability as well, as always mentioned.
2: His singing ability is phenomenal. One of the things, mm-hmm. one of my greatest pleasures in life, and in fact, we'll do it on Saturday now when we go to the rugby together. I love standing next to him at the rugby and he sings the national anthem. And it is the most wonderful thing.
1: So I'm jealous of the Welsh National Anthem. As an English rugby fan, I'm very jealous that you get to sing that uh, and we I <laughs> have know, I mean I'm, I'm very patriotic. I love you know I love English rugby, but yeah, it's just that bit better, right?
2: I have the worst singing voice you've ever heard, and he has the most wonderful voice. Uh, lucky that he's really so, loud. And I love that he will almost he he will just belt out the anthem. he he'll, he'll almost kind of try and hide back so people don't see him and he will belt out the anthem and everybody's looking to kind of say, where is that voice coming from? Because it really is a wonderful thing.
1: Do you credit the ad with a lot of the brand awareness and, and success of Go Compare?
2: You know, we were doing well. Everything was good. It took everything up a level, I think, for, for all the comparison sites because – it just became about brand recognition, and that was it. And it actually then allowed the comparison industry to kind of get to a point where it completely dominated. And there was no point anybody else kind of promoting what they did or showed in their services because we just dominated then so quickly and kind of had the market, and that was it. There was no going back.
1: Did you, did you have eyes on SEO? Were you really aware of search visibility and
2: yes. how you rank? Because
1: money supermarket at one point, so I used to keep an eye on them yeah. Um, for a couple of other clients of ours kind of in that personal finance money saving space, they would put a story out every day. There, there was something new, something new. They're getting hundreds and hundreds of links a month. Those links are equating to better search visibility. We know that at the top, page one, number one, page one, number two, there's a massive difference in number of clicks. Yeah. So, how much did you spend? Think, or how much time did you spend thinking about that? How much money did you spend worrying a about lot,
2: that? A lot, an awful lot. And we, we, <laughs> we kind of dedicated a lot of our time and resources to it. It was, you know, equally up there with TV that that we did. Uh, and PR was a big thing for us as well, and that was great. But you know, next TV SEO was kind of right up there. You know, we were a bit fly in some of the things that that we would do, we got banned. <laughs> had to by? Get, and I had to by Google and had to get ourselves <laughs> back up. Oh good. Back up to the top. What was that? Um, what happened there? Just some of the strategies that right. we would um, we would adopt in the early days, you know, again as a new startup company flying by the seats of our pants. Everybody we, was
1: doing it. We try we that. try
2: everything. But as the business grows and the more successful you become, you kind of have to clean those things up. Um, So we kind of then kind of took the approach: no, everything has to be clean. Everything has to be whiter than white.
1: See, what was wonderful is, I so I started my agency in 2014, and it became an agency. And this is something actually I hadn't, I didn't mention to you on the phone. Became an agency. So I left my agency before that and just said, right, I'm I'm going freelance. I'd started a couple of other things that were doing okay. Said, I'm going freelance, and GoCompare was the first client that I had. (laughs) Uh, I put awesome. my hand up on Twitter. I've always been quite noisy, and I put my hand up, and I think it might have been Andrew Isadora got in touch, or Victoria Cow, Victoria. Yeah, one of them got in touch, and I remember coming to your offices. I, and I, I thought about it as, as you were speaking earlier on. I've got a photo. Did you have a car in the in the middle of in the office, or you had some?
2: There's a dragon. Dra- There's a the dragon. dragon? There's a dragon. Yeah, these dragons. So I've got a couple of super dragons here. So you, you there had a dragon, dragon there. in the office.
1: Um, right, in, you know, in, in the entrance hall, and I remember taking a photo of that. and feeling like, well, this isn't half bad. I've just put my hand up to say, right, I'm going freelance. And Go Compare was one of my first ever clients. Um, and it was all around that PR and SEO kind of remit. I think I did a story. It was like the Burglar's Guide to Home Security or something. It was, you know, it was, it was something like that. It was basically like, you know, we went found the burglar to tell you the things that you shouldn't do, and it was, it was it was all home insurance orientated oh
2: we had really funky offices and we had different themed rooms my favorite one was the 1970s disco room where we had dirt balls on the ceiling I don't think I had the pleasure that was always my favorite room but yeah we always had we always had crazy stuff going on we always had great fun you know and it was always it was always entertaining
1: you lose so much of that with what's happened you know with working from home with the hybrid model, you know the that just that Team camaraderie, you know, to the, to the togetherness of it, the feeling like you're working with them for each other again. You lose so much that I guess you sold, and you probably haven't had to worry about being no, in the office since. No, right? so, I
2: kind of, I don't know how I would cope with that. You know, for I'm me, too, it was all about being in the office, being with my guys, being with my team, and we all loved just being together.
1: Yeah, and that's that's what I was saying earlier on about the rugby analogy or the team sport analogy. It's like, do you think that Wales prepare by a few Zoom calls and then you turn up, do a bit of training, and then you play? It just doesn't happen that way, so how long did you run? Go compare for two years two thousand and six two
2: thousand and fifteen
1: what, what What made that the right time?
2: The intentions was always to build a business to get the business as big and successful as we could. My skill set and the skill set of the initial team was entrepreneurs building businesses from the ground up. And I kind of think businesses kind of get to a point where they then need to go on to a different skill set to be taken further and, and where they kind of need to go. So I, I kind of, I did what I set out to do in the timescales that I wanted to do it in. I'd achieved what I'd wanted to achieve and it was time to let it go into the corporate world. You know, I like that entrepreneurial world. The corporate world is a different beast.
1: You'd effectively yeah. retired yourself by 40. Yeah. It's a dream, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Did it fit,
1: was that an intention?
2: No. No. I, it was always... I've, I've got this thing where I can kind of split personal and business and I can keep them separately. So for me, the business is always what's right for the business. Um, whether that's right for me personally or not, I deal with that separately. So it was always build the business, do what's right for the business, it will always go on into different hands when it's ready to do so.
1: Did you feel a sense of loss having sold? Because everybody goes through that and I say this as somebody that hasn't gone through this, of course, but the people that I speak to that have exited, you know, in large exits, there's that elation and the, you know, we did this and then there's quite quickly the okay, that's not part of my life anymore.
2: So I'm very emotional about it. I love I still love GoCompare.com. I loved GoCompare.com. You don't have to promote news. it <laughs> I loved all my time at Admiral. So I feel very um, protective and attached to all of the business I work for because I put my heart and soul into all of them. The key thing for me with the exit of GoCompare was that it stayed in Wales and that my staff was protected. So that, that was the key thing for me on that. So I actually sold out to my investors in a way that it could remain protected. My people were protected and the business would just continue. Did
1: Dan and Lee stay with it?
2: Lee's still there. Lee's, Lee's, of course, Lee's, Lee's Lee, still there. Of Lee's, course. The, Lee's the chief executive there now. So he's been there from day one and he's happily still there now.
1: Brilliant. And Dan?
2: Uh, no, Dan. Um, Dan exited. In fact, all of the original people that were involved have all exited now, apart from Lee.
1: There you go. Our connection is Anders Nilsson. Anders works with me at Radioactive. He worked with you at GoCompare as head of external comms and doing doing all of that good stuff he says that when you left it did change you know and and somebody like you not being in the business will fundamentally change it you know and I mean you said that it was for the reasons of I took it to a place and then it becomes you know it has to become more corporate to to succeed in a way that pleases investors and all, all of those things I just thought you'd like to know that he said that it was a, a very different place under your stewardship and a wonderful place to be
2: yeah and it changes you know when you go you a business gets so big that it it unfortunately does change from that entrepreneurial startup spirit to a corporate animal. You know, they are different things. The only
1: constant is change. Even if you were still there, you know, there'd, there'd be differences, you know, your lifestyle changes, you know, th- things happen. You know, I've seen it again, my business is almost nine years old. I've seen it happen in and around my own company, I the, the, across the last few years. <laughs> you know, we, we've we all, I think, especially in the PR industry in marketing, you know, we've all kind of gone through you know, something of an of enormous change, in fact. Um, it's not. It's, it's just the underdog mentality, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It was wonderful. And it's been great.
2: And, you know, I, as a startup, and the, the things that kind of interest me, it is the making things up as you go along, doing things by the seats, you know, flying by the seats of your pants on the things that you do and the decisions that you make, and being able to react quickly to things and make things happen, and the, the chase and the sale and all those kind of things. But, but you you know, you the business... Does get to a point where it just just runs and it just works, and and those fun elements then are not there anymore. And then that's when it's time, I think, for like start up entrepreneurs to kind of move on.
1: Haley, you have an OBE. I do. You do. Tell us about going to Buckingham Palace.
2: Uh, it was quite a funny story, actually. Before I got my OBE, uh, maybe I don't know a year before, my PA and dear friend Catherine. She kind of came, she came into my office and she just said, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. You've been invited to an event up to um, 10 Downing Street with the prime minister. Why do I want to go to Downing Street? and meet the prime minister. <laughs> Catherine, you know, I don't want to get involved in anything political at all. So she was like, well, that's rude. You must go. <laughs> and I was, Catherine, I'm far too busy. There is no way I'm going to London to go to a do at Downing Street. Can't think of anything worse. She said, that's not acceptable. That is really rude. She said, in fact, I'm going to ring your mother and tell your mother how rude you're being. (laughs) Off she trotted. In fact, 10 minutes later, my phone rings. It's my mother. Young lady, I brought you up better than this. If the prime minister invites you to 10 Downing Street, you will go to 10 Downing Street. You will not be so rude as to turn them down. It's like, mum, I'm really busy. I have not got time to go. She said, you will find the time. You will go. And in fact, I'm going to escort you there to the door to make sure you go in. She also said to me, Hayley, you know, my dream is to get to Buckingham Palace. And to get me to Buckingham Palace, you might have to go via Downing Street.
1: Who said that Your mum said this? This is what my
2: mother said to me. So, <laughs> I go, oh.
1: so she, she's got it planned out. She's thinking, oh, well, there's steps to this.
2: Obviously, she must have, right? Anyway, she made me laugh. So we went. We went to London. We had a lovely lunch. We drank a, cup, a couple of bottles of champagne. So I turned up. At, I turned up down the street drunk, um, and then there was this little wine waiter that kind of followed me around and got me more drunk. And I've got this terrible habit where I have too much to drink. My shoes get on my nerves, and I have to take my shoes off and I walk barefoot. So as I kind of decide to leave. Downing Street, I'm at the top of the stairs now, and I've got a couple of flights to walk down. I'm like, jeez, I'm not getting down there in my four-inch heels. So I took my shoes off, wandered down, out of Downing Street, and my mother's there at the gate waiting, and her head just drops with embarrassment. She is so embarrassed to see me leave drunk, Carrying my ah. shoes, walking barefoot out of the door. She's still embarrassed, deeply embarrassed That's by it wonderful. now.
1: Well, do you know what we probably shouldn't tell that story then? Sorry, mum.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so so that was that incident, and then about I don't know, a year later, um, I'm in the office and um Laura, who kind of looks after our general office and and, and the mail comes running in she comes running in she shuts the door oh my god look at this and she showed me this letter from um Buckingham Palace saying they wanted to reward me with an OBE so I was like oh that's a joke somebody's taking the mick so she said yeah that's what I thought so we have a bit of a laugh and a giggle about it we say yeah somebody's winding us up you know they are I said, "Have you got the em- have you Have got the envelope? It come in." She said, "Well, let me go. Let me go and dig it out of the bin." So she went and dug the envelope out of the bin, came back with it, and we're both looking at it. It kind of looks real. It had like a rubber stamp on it. Was was it a seal? <laughs> it yeah, yeah, it kind of. Well, it looks official. It all sounds fine, but I don't know anything about how these things work. And it kind of said, "But you, you know, you kind of need to keep quiet about it, and not tell anybody until the event happens, New Year's Honours list." So Laura and I kind of agreed. It could, could be a joke. Let's not tell it. Obviously, we're not going to tell anybody about it. And let's wait and see what happens. So as we were kind of getting closer, I was convinced somebody was winding me up and it was a joke. But um, no, indeed, my name was on the honest list. And it wasn't a joke. And it was quite fine. And I did get to take my mum to Buckingham Palace.
1: Oh, my God. Did, was she really happy? Uh, it? Did it make her
2: Yeah. <laughs> she absolutely, she will say next to her her grandchildren seeing her grandchildren being born that is her most special moment
1: do you think your parents are proud of you do they tell you that they are
2: oh yes my mother will still tell you i'm an absolute pain in the backside um but yeah definitely
1: and then how did cardiff rugby
2: come about so 2015 when i was leaving go compare i knew that they were looking for a female board member and in fact it was quite a convenient thing for me because when everybody was asking me, oh, what are you going to do next, Hayley, after you um, leave GoCamp here? It was an easy thing for me to say, oh, wow, you know, who knows? I might take a completely different direction. I hear they're looking for a, a female um, board member at the World Rooker Union. So um, so I did, I had a couple of initial conversations to kind of understand a little bit more about it. And actually, the way that the, the board operated and the makeup of the board was something that needed to be changed. And it was certainly something that the the chairman at the time wanted to change. However, I remember him saying to me, I want to reduce down the number of directors that sit on the board. I want to change the type of experience that these people have. However, I haven't got the power to do that. If I try and make those changes, I will get voted out and lose my job, which is pretty much what happened. So he you, you know he kind of set out trying to do the right thing and in the end couldn't make that happen and also they they did appoint they did make an appointment they did make a female appointment on the board and i think actually it was the start of a, a positive change for them it wouldn't have been a right move for me because i would've got very very frustrated with the way things Worked and operated, and I would have had no power to change anything.
1: Having come from somewhere where you had power as in and seniority, um,
2: yeah, the ability
1: to make change, absolutely, the ability to say, "Do you know what? I'm doing this opera thing
2: in yeah, this ad." Yeah, indeed. You know, and to then go into an organisation where you have no power or say wouldn't have been a good thing for me at all.
1: Do you think rugby's scared of change?
2: Like any business it needs the right people in the right roles to to do the job and things evolve and change as time goes by and you need to bring in as the as the business evolves you need to bring in the right skill sets at that time and i and i just think it was kind of in the dark ages and remained in the dark ages for a long you know until it's now been made to come out of the dark ages and make the changes that needed to be made.
1: Do you feel like it's in a more positive place now?
2: There's potential now. For, I I think it's gone in the right direction. I think the changes that have been made are huge, huge changes. It's a real shame that they've only come about because of recent events that has happened and been exposed, being claims of sexism and racism and bullying. I think it's a real shame that it's that those changes are born out of those issues, but um, change, changes come in. It's like it's any business, though, isn't it? Any business needs people in those roles that are capable of running that business, mm-hmm. that understand that business, and have clear strategies and goals to do what needs to be done. So, one of the frustrations I have, I kind of have in the rugby world is. I'm a business person before I'm a rugby fan. So I look at everything through with my business hat on and I look at it, I look at the commercials, I look at the people and the way that they are treated and all, and all those kind of things and the culture and the environment. And, and actually, and this is where I think differently to other people, I think, in the business, rugby just so happens to be the product, but you have to get all the stuff. Off the pitch, right. And everybody's so focused on what happens on the pitch and whether you win or lose rather than the actual business.
1: Does any union get it right in terms of balancing both being a business and getting that product on the pitch?
2: I don't know. I don't think so.
1: I'm thinking, you know, a New Zealand, the union to look to, or is New Zealand the union to look to? You know, do the RFU get it right? I mean, you'd, you'd arguably say, Based on, uh, you know, what was it Carling famously said? It was um, a load of old farts in suits or something, wasn't it? That, I mean, yeah. I've you know, completely ruined the quote, but I, th- I think that's still very much I the case. I think that
2: is a perfect statement on where we've been, you know, and I think whenever there was any trouble, the guys in suits at the top would all link arms and they would Blazers. all think together. <laughs> the Blazer Brigade, yeah. the Blazer Brigade would all link arms. They would all stand strong together because they don't want to change what they've always known and what has always been, which is fundamentally built around their love and their passion for rugby,
1: which is no bad thing. It's a lovely, you know, it's a, it's a sport to love. I mean, you know, it's a stupid sport, and I love it still. It's <laughs> I'm crocked at 35 because of it, but um, you know, I still um, you know, I, I still love it. So there's there's nothing wrong but it with should passion. Still,
2: it should but. still have a strategy. It should. We should all know. You know, it is for me. It's still a business. It needs to be a commercial operation. And you need to have a clear strategy on what it's trying to achieve. And I don't what should think it achieve? there is, what is a clear strategy on what
1: is it, I mean, player safety—that's obviously something I'm looking after them post-retirement.
2: Absolutely, all of those things.
1: I mean, do you think it's doing any good work in, in the sense of those things? I mean, you, you're involved obviously with Cardiff Rugby as a non-exec. How being involved in a re- how does being involved in a region support you know the national team? Or is is it not about that? Is it about supporting the regional team?
2: All of for, for all of my time involved, it's been a very difficult time. There is an awful lot of negativity that surrounds it. You know, I come from a business background built on positive culture, great things, positive things, and, and just a joint like good environments. And then you you kinda I kind of start to take a little look into the into the, the rugby environment. The very, Male-dominated business environment—a very male-dominated environment. Um, but it's also very. Um, there's an old-fashioned. I'm trying to say there's an old-fashioned culture. that, that is kind of bullying, and or I, they don't set out to be bullies, but that's how they've always done things. But the problem is, I care about. The people, there is an awful lot of good people. That there's there's an an awful lot of good people that really really care about it. They absolutely love it. Um, but there's a lot of decisions that are made that are fueled by self interest or their passion for the game, which which doesn't necessarily translate as the best business decisions. That, that, that should be made. And there's also, I also see a lot of negativity around, around it and actually the way people talk about each other, which I've never experienced any, anywhere else that I've been involved in, that actually have a conversation with somebody about rugby and all they want to do is tell you how useless somebody else is at their job or in their role. So it's all quite a diff. it's just a difficult, it's been a difficult place to be one of, the questions, one of the questions I quite often get asked is, what should we, what, what should we be doing about the 60 cap rule? And I, my true answer to that is, I do not know what we should be doing on that because until I know what the overarching strategy is of what we're all trying to achieve at the top level.
1: Well, have said more people, more often, more enjoyment, more rugby.
2: <laughs> I don't know what the right answer is what the right business answer is to that question until I know what we're trying to achieve and where it then kind of what would, What would sit
1: better with you if it was something like, you know, with within two World Cup cycles, we want to be in the final. Is that a better strategy? Now, isn't that clear? That's a strategy. It's, isn't that clear? So a strategy clear? is, we will do X in Y way to achieve Z. The,
2: the
1: thing I always hear is, it's a smaller playing pool. Uh, you know, the RFE, you've got a massive playing pool in England. Not, not to throw strategies at you. I don't want you to be number one in the world. But is that not a is you know to be number one in the the home nations? We will be number one in the home nations. You know by looking after our players, by ensuring player welfare, by um, you know ensuring you know funding is uh, going into the regions, by ensuring. But that's maybe the buy. That's where the sixty cap rule might come in. You know to achieve X to be number one.
2: A Cardiff rugby. You know, and we have had this little thing called COVID that's caused a bit of difficulty. A few things. But actually, all we've been able to operate on, the only strategy we've been able to have for the last couple of years actually is survival. Mm. And that is it. We have literally been working towards, no point in us talking about what we can win and on all those kind of things. <laughs> literally, the last couple of years, all we can really focus on and talk about is survival. How do we survive to get to the point where we can fight another day?
1: That's you know you, you talk about rugby as a business that's a lot of businesses i know exactly the same my business was the same i've seen agencies fall in the last in the last couple of months i've seen eight good agencies people that i know and care about and they're fantastic what they do their agencies have gone into administration or cease trading and things like that in the last couple of years last few years we've seen it in rugby with worcester with wasps um you know we've seen how ill management uh, or bad management and or and I, I mean I, I don't know the ins and outs of rugby finances and how it's run as a business but so let's if if we're optimistic and we say are we still in that fight for survival is, is is Cardiff still in the fight for survival post-pandemic
2: we are absolutely still in that fight for survival we are now in a position where we can live on and fight another day it has been a really really tough challenging time. I've actually found the rugby experience much tougher and much more challenging than what I've found my other businesses to be. Um, And honestly, the amount of times I've just wanted to put my head in my hands and cry um, over the last couple of years because the situation is unbelievable. However... I do really have hope now that things will change for the better, that the right group of people should be able to work together with some common goals and a common strategy for the greater good of Welsh rugby. And there's no reason why the national team and the four regions can't actually all do phenomenally well with the right investment, with the right strategy and everybody working together. Um, you know we really could create something great, so I do have that hope for the first time in a long, long, long time. I have hope
1: do you think it's partly because there's a feeling it is a privilege to pull on any jersey, and I mean it must be a point of personal pride to see go compare on the back of the Welsh shirt now? Well done. (laughs) (laughs) It's fabulous. Uh, It's it's incredible to see. I I thought as I was watching,
2: I had the opportunity to sponsor the national team many, many years ago. But at that point, we weren't the number one comparison site. We were the second biggest comparison site. I didn't have Admiral on my panel, and Admiral were going for the sponsorship. And in fact, they'd agreed to sponsorship, and they were quite far down the lines of kind of um, the artwork and getting everything. Developed and I had the opportunity if I wanted to of almost gazumping them. And um, I remember when I I remember on this particular day thinking, Do you know what? I want to sponsor the team, but but it was for the hell of it. Mm. It wasn't because it was the right business thing to do, it was because of the sheer devilment in me and the hell of it. And I was like, Do you know what? I'm going to spot, I'm going to do this just because I can. And anyway, I went home, I went to sleep, I woke up in the morning, thought this is stupid. So I gave up. I gave up my dream of sponsoring the team at that point to put business first and work on smoothing my admiral relationship. So you're telling me that getting them on board. So to get them now, like fifteen years later, is amazing.
1: <laughs> you're telling me that for a bigger strategy, you made the right choices with the right people at the right I time. I did indeed. <laughs>
2: <laughs> is
1: is this what success always looked like to you? financial freedom, and the ability to do what you just said? I
2: don't think I ever really stopped along the way and thought about what success looked like. I just kind of got on with it. It has been the most wonderful journey. But within that, there's, there's the wonderful journey with GoCompare, with Confuse.com, with Gladiator, with Admiral. You know, I've had the most brilliant opportunities and roller coaster journeys through business, which has just been phenomenal up and down. Um, you know, I do feel like I the experience that I I've gained the experience that most people would never experience in a lifetime in in, in a short period of time. Um which is which is wonderful.
1: Fantastic. Oh, I think brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Where's the Red Ferrari? And there we have it, Hayley Parsons OBE. I know it's kind of the done thing to say thank you to the guest, and of course we should. And, you know, they were wonderful to spend time with. Haley is a oh right laugh. She's just a joy to be around, a lovely, lovely human being. And if only there were more people like her. Driven, kind, optimistic, a really nice afternoon spent with her. I usually use this opportunity to plug the guest social media profiles, but you won't find Haley on any of them. Those of you that do follow us on social media, and again, that Starting Line Show on Instagram and TikTok, Starting Line Show without the W on Twitter, and the Starting Line Podcast on Facebook, we post on them all. You will have seen, so this is week five, so it was uh, a month last week, and I put some figures to things, and uh, by the time we'd released five episodes, our videos on social have been viewed more than 50,000 times. We almost broke it into the top 50 business podcasts in the world. We have listeners in more than 20 countries. And as I say, with more than half of this series still to go, we've got some more amazing guests for you. So keep listening, keep sharing, keep writing or leaving those five-star reviews. They do help. Again, if I give you an insight into the podcast world, reviews, as well as listens, of course, help algorithmically, help push us up the charts, help get us out to more people. And You're listening right now. Why don't you just go? If you can, if you haven't already, leave a five-star review. It'll push us up. Thank you. Keep things moving nicely. Tell your friends and all that good stuff. All right, that's enough from me, isn't it? Thank you very much. As ever, we'll be back next Monday with our seventh guest.